Welcome to the Go Well podcast. On today's podcast, it's such a joy to be able to share with you my conversation with Michael Lunig, who is an Australian cartoonist, writer, painter, philosopher and poet. His commentary on political, cultural and emotional life spans more than 50 years and has often explored the idea of an innocent and sacred personal world, the fragile ecosystem of human nature and its relationship to the wider natural world is a related and recurrent theme. He describes his approach as regressive, humorous, messy, mystical, primal and vaudevillian, producing work which is open to many interpretations and has been widely adapted in education, music, theatre, psychotherapy and spiritual life. And I have Michael Lunig on the phone. Are you there, Michael? Oh, yes, Claude, I'm here. (laughs) It's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show and to be talking a little bit about your life and role as a cartoonist and also your your soon-to-be-launched book, Get Well. There's so much that people already know about you and... uh, I guess the first question I actually really want to talk to you about, without getting too political, if that's possible, uh, is media, I guess, because you've been working in media for so many years. You know, what what have you got to say about how media has changed, perhaps since you first started working, to what it's like now? Well, yes, big question. Um, You know, media's changed and I've changed. And so... Uh, well, it, it was once more lucrative for publishers to, to you know, support journalism and um, newspapers were, uh, were thriving sort of places to work with some spectacular people working in um, as journalists and writers. And I, I was lucky to see that before the dying days. And uh, I, I met some brilliant people and funny people, real characters, but um, but now, look, I, I think it's become a bit impoverished. It's become, um, well, as as you might know, very censorious and kind of um, agenda-driven. It's not the open, pluralistic kind of environment that I I went into when I was young, and um, it, it's kind of I I think. I think um, identity politics has got into it, uh, to its detriment, I think, and ideology uh, and um, things like that have, have changed the whole the whole environment. is, is mm. not very friendly. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then the arrival of, of the digital media and, and journalists working at computers and uh, rather than getting in taxis and racing out to do the story or the interview, you know, it's lost all that organic, hands-on feeling and mm. that alters the product to my mind. Mm. But, um, and no place for cartoonists much anymore. Cartoonists now are sort of expected to be illustrators of policy, I think. Mm, yeah, very tough. Uh, but that's, that um, yeah. that, well, that's inferred. It's not stated, but I noticed the sort of cartoons that are really featured and the so-called award-winning cartoons are pretty much um, cartoons that, um, I don't know, they just represent the commonly held views about politics and etc. A lot of virtue signaling kind of stuff. A virtue signaling cartoonist is a contradiction in terms, (laughs) to my mind. You, You are there to be a bit naughty. 
and to uh, and cheeky, you know, and mm. and challenge the the narrative and mm. stir things up in 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 a way that is constructive, hopefully. Mm. But um, so it's very different. I I can hardly relate to newspapers mm. anymore. Mm-mm. Don't read them much. So well, look, we all know that you're one of your biggest influences is just uh, being out in nature. I was just actually walking around our local gardens here and taking more notice of the ducks. Golly, they're yes. amazing creatures, aren't they? Anyway, uh, yeah. so I was thinking of you yesterday, and uh, so that's still your main your main inspiration, I guess. Do you get do you go to any online sort of platforms to get inspiration? I guess you have to keep on top of what's going on everywhere, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a matter of just keeping your ear to the ground. Mm. Not not that that's the only source of of understanding the zeitgeist or what is happening in your culture. You know, we all, it's a natural survival instinct to want to know what's going on around us. Where is this culture, this world heading and what's emerging and what's being Mm. lost? So, yeah, how do you find out about that? Well, yes, you, you, you browse through various things online and and uh, um, mostly um, not not very not very inspiring and and then you keep talking to people you keep talking to people in the street people everywhere all sorts of people mm. and you know the, the nobody people so called mm. you know, people who are, who aren't personalities or politicians or mm. celebrities or whatever just mm. just people mm. and and that's where you can sense the feeling for the times in which you live. You know, mm. the spirit of country, if you like, mm. if you want to see it like that. And, and that requires, I think, a faith in intuition and um, awareness of intuition also, but, but you've got to trust more than just the data all the time. I mean, there's this been really sad lapse into data alone and science, which is, look, it's a given that science matters, but... It's become a, a religion, and like most religions, it becomes a sort of a false religion. And um, so, you know, uh, you have to intuit a lot of things and feel your way through life, too. Mm. And listen, and just listen and keep mm. noticing mm. and be and observing in your own peculiar way. That's a cartoon. A cartoon is a peculiar creature. Mm. I mean, probably boring socially, but in 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 their in their mindset, it's a, sort of a peculiar way of looking oh, well we all just love it well sorry I guess I'm talking there for everybody else out there but certainly I do but I know there are I mean I was actually counting up how many books I was trying to that you've published in your lifetime I think I got up to about 32 is that be right or is there more or you don't know it could be right it's strange as I've got older I've, I've lost um, a keen interest in what I've done you know <laughs> and, and I, I, I don't know my own story Sometimes and I, uh, it astonishes me. Uh, you know, people say, "Oh, you've got to live in the present." Yes, of course you do. But, but gosh, I, I sometimes things come from my past. I can hardly believe. Yes, I was there. I did talk to that person. <laughs> I, I etc. So, so I don't know how many books they're all just water under the bridge. And sometimes I, I come across an old cartoon. And I think. That is wonderful. That is so beautiful. How did I ever do that? I couldn't do that now. That's wonderful. Or, oh, gorgeous. Or, <laughs> but sometimes it's the reverse. I'll come upon, upon some of 
come upon something and say, that is so horrible. How did I do that? Well, it's... it's interesting because a friend of mine said to me, you've got to watch Lunig Fragments. So maybe you can watch that as a reminder, that <laughs> that little film oh, about I, you I saw the other day. I've, I've not seen that. I've not seen that, oh. would you believe? I saw some rough cuts of it and I, I didn't like it. And <laughs> I, I mean, famously, people who have documentaries made, made about them. I'm so keen. And it's about this. I'll tell you what it's about. Uh, if... Anyone has any sort of public profile, if, if, if ever they become public property in some way, um, they are known for something they are not. Mm. It's, 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 it's not often that people... I feel greatly unknown, too, and I have so mm. many attacks. I've had so many attacks against me over the years, mm. columnists and all sorts of commentators, and I'm really I'm surprised that I'm worthy of such a attack or that it matters to people, but frequently none of these people ever talk to me and ask me. They project onto me. I'm mm. a projection holder. I really get this, really get that. And I think, no, I'm not. I'm just not. That's false. And but does anybody care? Well, yeah, I, I, I think there's know. a lot of I think there's a lot of people that do care actually. And I also think, yeah, sometimes you really underestimate how. Um, how brave and courageous it is to be such a public figure, to be a public figure of any sort. And I was actually going to ask you about that, all the different times where you have or some of your work has perhaps been not agreed with or you've been attacked, how if you felt that you've sort of built built up a resilience to it or if actually each time it's another dagger to the heart. <laughs> I don't know, it must be so difficult. Yeah, um, I think you've developed the it's not so much a resilience, you kind of outgrow it in a way because life is more interesting than that. And as you get older, as I'm getting older, I'm in the sort of, my friends are dying at this stage. Mm. And um, and so uh, there's a bigger view. You, you, you see things with a different perspective and it's great. It's, it's such a revelation. And so a lot of those attacks have been so puny and awful and hostile and nasty and not based on um, on any knowledge of... of, of and, and so much misunderstanding, so much misunderstanding, and it's deliberate, that's the point. You see, if you do become any sort of, um, you know, a, a public figure in any way, whether you're a musician or a writer or whatever, whatever, a politician, there's a lot of envy and jealousy and hostility comes at you from certain kinds of people and they make a lot of noise. Mm. Um, uh, some, there have been writers, columnists who seem obsessed with me and I think, hang on, I'm, I'm just a cartoonist. I'm not a politician. Mm. It's a cartoon. It's not a piece of legislation, <laughs> nor is it a, a legal document. It's just a cartoon. What are you upset about? Uh, just turn the page. But why, uh, why annihilate me? Uh, a, a character assassination. It's like a, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I, I would say <laughs> the tone of my voice would suggest that I'm immensely hurt, but I'm dismayed at the culture of intolerance and hostile attack. Which is which we see played out on social media mm. and the phenomenon of the the, the, the 
troll and, and, mm. and that's kind of nasty, mm. hurtful, cowardly attacks. Mm-mm. But why? Mm. You know, I'm not a mass murderer. I, I'm this guy with a pen and a bit of paper. Mm. And how dangerous is that? And and mm. I, I don't think it's very dangerous. Well, I think it goes back to my first question, though, just about how influential media media is. So as a cartoonist in media, that makes you influential. But I wanted to come back to uh, a cartoon that actually popped into my head that uh, of yours that I wanted to ask you about, which is on your your sort of screensaver on your Facebook page at the moment, which is the one with you running after your head. <laughs> I love that one. Oh, <laughs> is, that, is, yes. that, is that how you? Is that how you? Is that sort of sum sum up how you're feeling at the moment? <laughs> um, yeah, that, no, that, I remember when I did that cartoon, <clears throat> and I'm thinking, oh, he's a he's, he's a person whose body is separated from his head, and he's chasing his head. I, I think that we live in a world now where the head is chasing the body, and it needs to. Um, the head is has run away with us a bit. Mm. A bit too much, uh, too, too too much, br- too brain ridden, and yeah, uh, and and I'm I've become interested. I I've, I've always been interested in what um what Arthur Boyd, the Australian artist, called the felt life, the life which is felt, is rather than just the life that is measured and known in those mm. cerebral terms. So the felt life. And of course, that puts me up to be knocked down as some sort of lefty lovey or something like this. You see these insulting terms. You're just a person who's lost in your feelings. But I think psychology is very interested in the feelings. And, and cause a lot of feelings are a source of great trouble and, 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 and appalling behavior. And, um, so, that's my interest. It's a psychological interest in humankind, and and that's what is underlying my work quite often. And yeah. um, and I, I think the media is generally uh, very afraid of a psychoanalytic perspective. They're they're a bit averse to it. Mm. I think reporters and journalists often don't want to go there. It's mm. what's behind these actions. What what's driving the Prime Minister or whatever. I mean, it's not easy to do that, but it's important to mm. think more deeply. And so that has been my work, and I work in a primal way. You see, uh, it's not just words, it's these pictures and, and drawings and rather simplistic, symbolic, almost like hieroglyphs, if you like, and that is primal and, and therefore truthful in a way it goes around the intellect. You see a picture and you don't think about it. You just see it and mm. it impacts, etc. Mm. So the medium is quite, quite different to writing, mm. and and it's also and therein is its value uh, and its truthfulness if it's mm. well created. Mm. And and so um, so I, I, I'm, I'm a good a good cartoon touches people. And hopefully, for in a healthy way. But in saying that, I'm aware that the great dictators have always used cartoons uh, for to make propaganda posters, etc. You know, mm. Um, mm. It, 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 such is the nature of an, I- of an image. Mm. Mm. And um, so, um, yeah. And so, in in the, in the in the context of the newspaper, the, the cartoonist is, is a loner, if you want, sort of an outsider, mm. even within the newspaper. Mm. A bit of a, uh, a sort of a respected outsider, 
but it's got a loneliness to it. And when the when the when the criticism gets harsh, you find yourself on your own, <laughs> and mm. and you have to wear it. And as an old cartoonist said to me, a senior cartoonist from the age, Les Turner said to me when I was just 24, I think, when I started there, and um, he said, well, you realise what you're going to be is a voice of the permanent opposition. Mm. He said. So therefore, you're always not in the majority. You're not speaking for the majority mm. or for the mainstream narrative or the fashionable narrative mm. or the well-resourced people or the well-armed people, you're mm. a voice of an outsider or the voice of the subjugated or the loner or the the, see, the improbable idea. So it's not necessarily a popular sort of thing I'm doing. Mm. I, I'm, I'm trying to raise things that aren't otherwise raised. And, That's um, why we all love you so much for what you do and continue to do, Golly. And well, another question I was going to talk to you about, which is going to probably get from you a similar answer, but I do feel I need to ask you, and that's humour and how humour yes. has, has changed or not changed because from what I can see from your work, you, you keep, you're pretty consistent. But while all that sort of world outside is sort of, everyone seems to be so much more sensitive around what's, what's funny and what's not these days. Do you think? Yes. <clears throat> yes, and very brittle and very, mm. um, I mean, I, I think sensitivity is intelligence, but um, mm. uh, but I think people are very uh, anxious and stressed and, and brittle and, and little and fearful mm. uh, about humour. They're unsure of, it's like a minefield. Don't walk there. Don't say that. Don't do this. I mean, what a loss. Uh, humor is a wonderful, it's a type of poetic quality in people. People come together and very soon they are making little jokes or quips or they're finding or making each other laugh a little. You know, it's a beautiful way that people come together a bit or it, it happens in the natural course of a conversation for instance, it's really important and it, it negotiates little areas or raises little uh, ideas, tongue in cheek for instance or in a joke and um, I think it's a lovely way of people find each other conversationally or with their ideas or their feelings, they test each other and you know, can you take this? I'll tell you this little and if, you know, you just sort of test each other a bit and, and amuse each other. I, I think the beautiful quality in human behaviour is to amuse each other and to be amused and and play. It's a kind of a play of feelings and words. I can't analyse it too too simply, but but it matters. And I think we're poorer when humour becomes danger. And, you know, oh, I said the wrong thing. Well, so what if you said the wrong thing? Um, uh, does it matter in the course of a... I don't see why it matters so much, unless you're just doing bigoted, nasty, you know, snide humour, which seems to replace good humour. I mean, you can be really snide now to cut someone down. And humour used to humiliate, to ridicule people, 
you know, mercilessly. I, I don't like that. I don't like that. That's what's become of humor. Yeah, well, look, let's um, take you over to your book. I'm actually just having a bit of a browse through, um, just trying to, <clears throat> with all of these uh, tags that I've got on so many pages of your imagery. <laughs> it's a beautiful book, as usual. And my next question was actually uh, going to be uh, what does life mean to you right now? And I've just flicked over to one of your cartoons, which is Life Is, which I might just read out. I'm hoping people can get it without your imagery. Your life is a vehicle you get around in. If you drive it too fast or too hard, you could have a crash or you might run over someone and cause great damage. (laughs) Drive your life carefully. Have it serviced. Don't toot your horn too much. Don't fret when it breaks down. Repairs can be done and spare parts are available. You don't need to stick to the main roads all the time. There are side roads and unmade winding tracks. Life is a vehicle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah. I mean, let's, let's uh, lighten things up because it's easy to get into all the heavy, dark stuff, isn't it? And this is what you do because you're playing on the left and the right and the dark and the light all the time, aren't you, through what you're, the way you produce you know, when yeah. I, you know, and you haven't sort of, I think the wonderful thing is that you haven't strayed from that over probably 50 years. You're still, you know, doing, doing that. You know, you're very clear about that role. It hasn't been, you haven't been swayed by, by what's going on outside. So, so going back to that um, question, what does life to you mean right now? Right now, in, for you, uh, for you, wanting, like a per, you're saying a personal thing. What is it to me? Yeah, to you I now. Mean, yeah. I, I, well, probably typical of people of my age, mm. where you see it as a gift and precious and 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 remarkable and wondrous, you know, and uh, all parts of life, nature, uh, people, friends, um, the, the strangers you meet. I don't know. Just the life force, eros, is so. Uh, such a miracle, I think, and so precious. And you only have to have a couple of near-death moments, which I've had. And um, okay. it's, not, it's, not, it's, not, it's not really an awakening. It's just a verification of how you've always felt since you were a child, that life is fragile and it's also strong. So I don't know. I'm in it. Each day mm, mm. Uh, I'm up to my neck in it mm. in, without trying. I, mm. I guess, look. Since childhood, it's been the same. When you're a child, you're so alive to things. And, you know, I grew up in an area where we didn't have beautiful trees and lovely landscapes and things. But a child gets down on his knees or her knees and sees a little ant and watches that ant and watches the ants going towards something. So she said, there's great beauty that even if you're down on your knees, if you can't stand up and see it, get down on your knees. And there it is. So Mm. much of my childhood was like that, you know, Mm. finding a frog in the garden. Mm. What an extraordinary, wondrous thing. So, Mm. uh, And then the belief in fairies and pixies as a child, the life of the imagination was so real and so alive to me, was so strong. Mm. And to make a fairy garden, you know, to, to mm. make to spend an hour in your garden putting little stones in a certain shape and getting petals or flowers, etc. And, and you do that because you knew that tonight when you were in bed, the fairies and pixies would come into this little place and 
do their little things and dance about or whatever. Oh, <laughs> and, what a beautiful you, picture. Oh, well, well <laughs> yeah, but, but I'm saying, what is it? And the next morning you get up and you look at and you say, you say, look, they've been here, they've moved that little stone. Oh, and then it struck me later in life that this is exactly what the artist does. You you create something with a great belief. In, you, you, you construct something with real sincerity and belief and and that early time of making fairy done is the first is one of the early acquaintances with creativity and belief and sincerity and and you believe that people will come into it, you know, sort of thing like the fairies will come into the little spirits. Mm-hmm. So uh, now I get knocked if I say things like that in public. It's like, come on, be a man, get interested in hard nosed politics, the real world, stop this nonsense with pixies and fairies and ducks and all that. Let them but I'm I'm also interested in the real hard stuff too. I mean, you know, I'm up the bush now, I have to drive a tractor around and deal with fallen trees and chainsaws and things like that. I I, I am capable with, <laughs> with, yeah. with the hard stuff of life. I know. And when with you and with humanity, I've had my fair share of tough, weird things and people, you know, so I'm not naive. You mentioned just then, actually, I don't know if you're prepared to talk about it over over radio, but you mentioned you had two near-death experiences. Did you want to share one of those? Oh, simply, oh, I mean, oh, I mean, there's been earlier, once in earlier life, things just which could have been fatal. But, oh, no, in recent times I'm talking about I I had a, a, a head injury uh, which resulted in a um, uh, a bleed on my brain and then a seizure, which could have been near fatal. And it was like I experienced it like a stroke. I was suddenly unconscious and uh, it was an emergency. I had to cut a, cut a hole in the head and relieve the blood clot on the brain and that. So, you know, it, I sailed close. And then, mm-hmm. and then not, long, not long after that, not long after that, um, it was discovered I had this thing called melanoma on my face, which was a very rare type because it was it was going very recurrent, and it had a, uh, a, a tendency to be very invasive to the whole body. So it was pretty dire for a while, and so I had to have that sort of cut out, and then this plastic, radical plastic surgery thing to my face, which was a miracle. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I oh, get a lot, a lot of time to lie there. I think, oh, that was close. Mm-hmm. But as I say, I've grown up with a lot of death, of life, of death. I have. I used to work in the meatworks. You know, I saw a lot. I, I, I had to do this sort of thing. When I'm a, uh, when my education came to nothing, I found I could work in the meatworks and get well paid as a labourer. Sometimes I'd have to kill cattle, and um, and I, I thought that's not my nature to do that, and it it propelled me into thinking very deeply about life and death. You don't do that. You become. I mean, you don't do that. It doesn't harden you. It sensitizes some people, and, and there's a great gravity, and and sorrow and feeling in that. But I thought, well, back then we were all meat eaters, and I can say, well, I got to face it. And and so you learn a lot about death because you think a lot about death. Well, I did. It, mm. it sensitised me deeply. Not that I needed that. We were always sensitive to death, were we? Our pet dogs and cats taught us about that. Mm. And um, 
Well, look, so I've, I've, I've seen a lot of those and I've you know, experienced enough of that. And uh, mm, mm, to be very glad for life. And not in clinging on to it, like, oh, I don't want to die. Well, of course I, I want to die because I have to die. And how do we do it? And, you know, it's it's interesting, kind of. And um, you, you, you must... I don't want to cling on to life like it's some damn possession and I won't let it go. I don't want to do that. Mm. And, um, well, actually, yeah, let's take you over because we we're sort of going to run out of time soon mm. um, to talk actually about your book, Get Well. Um, just going yeah. to read your very first uh, cartoon there at, at the front, which is the most beautiful picture. Oh, just it? divine. Uh, well, just, well, just of the of the man in the middle, um, in a sort of a bowed shape on the top of some trees, and then he's got his feet up, and then he's got an he's holding another man, and then on top of the head of the first man is the bird, singing bird, and then you've got the moon, yeah. and then you've got all the flowers, just the colourings and everything. It's just beautiful. And the poem oh, is is for now. Get well, do good, make love, touch wood, be kind, be true. Get well, be you. <laughs> it's beautiful. Oh, that's yeah. that, that's well, your first I'm, one. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Um, yeah, and it reminds me that that's the, that's the working class kind of lingo that I grew up with from grandmothers and your parents. That's people spoke in these little aphorisms and. Um, and now it seems very out of touch, you know, to be, it sounds a bit preachy. But I, I find it was just my, my mother tongue, if you like. Mm. Uh, mm. That's what um, my mother would put up on a, you know, would, would, would pin up on the, um, on the wall or something like that. Or my grandmother would say it as she's making some scones or something. I heard a lot of it in the kitchen, you know. Mm-hmm. All these things. There was a lot, lot, lot sort of this people's philosophy. And it was, I rather liked it. And there were songs of that nature, which would now be called sentimental songs. But they had these little mm-hmm. wisdoms and old, old sayings. And I, I'm not embarrassed by that. I think it's great. Well, I mean, you're... language. Yeah, well, there's certainly no doubt that there's, you've still got huge, huge audiences and lots and lots and lots of people out there who, who love you and love your, your work. What did you, did you want to say anything about the whole wellness thing? What does, do, you, do you have a sort of a protocol for yourself around wellness or health or, you know, that do you... Well, I think this old, this old word of, oh, you know, what is sanity? What, what, is, um, what is sanity? That, that is health. Too, isn't it? It's it's really important, and we hear it every day, do we not? You know, the world's going mad, things like that. You hear people say it. The world's crazy, and um, and I think we all. I'm interested in what our responsibility is about all this craziness, and and so wellness is you know by psyche soma as you would say soma the body psyche the, the soul and this concept of soul is now in the age of science is it can't be proven or something there's no data about the soul is there and and of course mm. uh, uh, but, but, but there's a strong sense that there of soul it's a word we can use with conviction and, and deep feeling and um, and that healthy soul, you know, that that being true to the soul and the soul being true to us, 
Mm. It matters to me, and that's a, mm. that would be seen as out, out of step with a data-driven mm. technological age. Mm. And I think, well, without this, uh, there is trouble if, if mm. we can't mm. have mm. The, the privacy and the integrity of our own relationship with our own soul, or, was it, or, or as our ancestors might have said, our own relationship with God, and that, that, that word has become an obscenity for a lot of people. Mm. But what does it refer to? It does refer to something soulful, and, and, and it's like our indigenous brothers and sisters who cannot speak of spirit of country just as a real natural, easy one. Um, mm. profound thing. So I, I think we have to keep that alive and recover mm. that. Not be lost in it, but know it really naturally and strongly and 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 and, mm. and clearly uh, and with conviction. And so uh, it, it matters, as does science, as does technology. And, uh, and mm. without that soulful perspective, mm. our technology becomes monstrous. Well, I mean, and, I think, and um, I think that's a really big, a really good point you've brought up because, I mean, I, my mother said to me uh, a little while ago, about a year or so ago, she's, I don't suppose age makes any difference, but she said to me, I don't understand what soul is. What is soul? So, I mean, you're yeah. reflecting that all the time through your through your beautiful art, you know. It's like, yes. it's interesting, isn't it? That you wouldn't think that, how could you not know? <laughs> it's a funny thing. Yes, well, I, I suppose we ask to know so much, but there are mysteries, and they're very fertile mysteries. They're beautiful mysteries, and they nourish us. The mystery, not the, not in fact the complete knowing. I, I mean, it's inconclusive what it is. But I think deep in our heart, as there to say deep in our heart is even a non-scientific kind of way of saying it, but deep in our heart we sense most of us sense this idea of soul, and and as something very powerful underlying us, and and um, and it's the reason we can get up in the morning and mm. be of good cheer, maybe or, or I don't know, a love the soul loves. And the soul suffers too. Mm. But w- without soul, there can be no love, and and no music, and no, um, you know, all this beautiful part of life, this mystery which we can't articulate and mm. and quantify into a f- mm. mathematical formula. Mm. And even though they're exploring deeper and deeper into the brain, I'm not sure that. Uh, the soul can ever, ever be Well, I, I, I keep waiting for when they're going to start exploring deeper and deeper into the heart. I don't think they've actually really started that yet. So, uh, you know, when we get the when we get the science and the and the numbers behind, well, exactly why do we fall in love? You know, rather than just trusting. Okay, well, we do just trusting and knowing that feeling without it necessarily needing to be proved. Proven. Yes. Yes. Well, every child know, knows about it. Um, I, it's interesting how much, um, how soulful children are generally, and how and what becomes of that. I, I, I don't know. I, I think to have that lineage back to your one's own childhood and value that, not glorified on a on a pedestal, but really value it, and 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 have that link, the capacity 
to speak with this, what I call mature innocence. We were innocent then. There's no reason we can't be innocent now, but mature about it. You know, that there is this raw, honest, sincere self, which can survive the worst corruptions of modern life if only we value it and mm. and speak from it and create from it and make our music from it, etc. is innocent. And or and it's like talking about love and and you ask uh, I mean Mozart said a beautiful thing about uh, genius. Uh he said, What is genius? It is love, love and love. <laughs> and and there's a lot in that. I, I there is a lot in that. Mm. What we call genius, it's it's mm. so much about love, mm. and and not just love for one thing or love of self. Just a, a connection, a, rever- a reverent sort of connection to life and and to enliven the world and enliven each other, etc. In goodwill. So I'm sounding like a preacher, aren't I? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> not at all. I just, I just think I'm just for me, and I'm just so grateful we've got you, Michael. I, I just think, and that you're prepared to still be out. And you could go underground quite easily, but you're still prepared to be out there to come on radio shows, to have your work out there, to have your calendars. You keep doing it, and it's consistency is a big part of it, isn't it? Really, I think I just think, and I know a lot of people out there would be very grateful to you doing and well, continuing to do what you do. Well, I appreciate your words. I really do. I'm touched. And, mm. uh, and, uh, and uh, yeah, thank you. And and to be able to talk now to you to, to and to whoever is listening, that's an astonishing thing always. It is. Mm. It is. Mm. And um, um, I don't know, maybe it's the world's drowning in people talking, but I must admit, it matters to me now, mm. and um, I don't think I've got anything particularly new. It's just one man talking about himself and what he has done, and I think we all have a story like that, mm-hmm. and, um, mm. and we should always listen mm. to each other's story mm-hmm. about that. And, and not, ev- not everybody, though, is prepared to actually go out there and do that. So once again, thank you so much. So, thank you so much for coming on Go Well today as well and um, look forward to okay. hopefully yeah. uh, having a cup of tea with you. be nice, wouldn't it? Lovely. Thank you again. Oh, thank you, Kate. <laughs> I really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, good on you. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.